Our call to worship comes from the second letter of St. Paul to the church at Corinth. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all consolation, who consoles us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to console those who are in any affliction with the consolation with which we ourselves are consoled by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are abundant for us, so also our consolation is abundant through Christ. And now let's come to God in prayer. We're going to pray together. We praise you, almighty God, who in love created all things, declaring all things good and breathing life into all creatures. Then set creation free to flourish and to grow. We praise you, Jesus Christ, who in love entered creation, living within the limits of a human body and dying to free us from the grip of death and to set creation free from the power of evil and sin. We praise you, Holy Spirit, who transformed the chaos with order, indwelling prophets and teachers, inspiring frail humans with new confidence to set them free for lives of ministry and mission. We praise you, Trinity of Love, whose love embraces all creation, whose life brings new life and new hope, liberating us and all creation to be and to become all that you, in love, created us to be. Amen. Our first Bible reading today is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in fields of green grass and leads me to quiet pools of fresh water. He gives me new strength. He guides me in the right paths as he has promised, even if I go through the deepest darkness. I will not be afraid, Lord, for you are with me. Your shepherd's rod and staff protect me. You prepare a banquet for me where all my enemies can see me. You welcome me as an honoured guest and fill my cup to the brim. I know that your goodness and love will be with me all my life and your house will be my home as long as I live. Second reading comes from John chapter 10. Jesus said, I am telling you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who goes in through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep hear his voice as he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought them out, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow someone else. Instead, they will run away from such a person because they do not know his voice. 
Jesus told them this parable, but they did not understand what he meant. So Jesus said again, I am telling you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All others who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever comes in by me will be saved, and they will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come in order that you might have life, life in all its fullness. I'm going to start with a question this week. What have a 20th century Austrian Jew, a 2nd century bishop from Gaul, and a Victorian pietist poet got in common? Well, you won't know the answer, because the answer is basically that it's quotations from each of them who came, that came to mind as I was reflecting upon our theme for this week and the associated Bible readings. And I hope that um, at least a little bit that will be helpful for us as we begin to think about this idea of life in all its fullness or fullness of life or abundant life or a life of abundance, depending how you translate the phrase that Jesus says. Like a lot of ministers, probably most ministers, I have on my bookshelf upstairs several anthologies of poems, readings and sayings that might be useful for use in funeral services. That probably sounds a bit morbid, but there you go, that's one of the things that ministers do. And there is one saying quoted from Viktor Frankl, which I find to be very helpful, especially if it seems that somebody's life has ended prematurely due to illness or accident. Viktor Frankl observes this. We cannot, after all, judge a biography by its length, by the number of pages in it, We must judge it by the richness of the contents. Sometimes the unfinished are among the most beautiful symphonies. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist who was imprisoned during the Second World War and ended up in Auschwitz. And his wife was taken to another prison camp where she died. His parents also died in prison camps. He later wrote about his experiences in a book that um, would become known in English by the rather, well, compared to the German title, a rather dull title, Man's Search for Meaning. It's before we got into inclusive language, but Humanity's Search for Meaning. Or maybe this man's search for meaning. The German title, I think, is really helpful, though, because the German title is said that he could say yes to life in spite of everything. To say yes to life in spite of everything. The fact that he could call his book that and do that and pen the beautiful words such as the ones I've quoted seems to me to suggest he knew the important difference between abundance of life and abundant life. 
Life in all its fullness is not a measure of how much you have. But I think maybe it's not so very different from saying yes to life in spite of everything. Certainly when I think of life in all its fullness... I lean towards Frankel's understanding, refusing to measure a life by anything so crass as its duration, its academic qualifications, its career path, its relationship status, its bank balance, the size of its residence, or any other material indicator of plenty or abundance. Life in all its fullness is not a quantitative quantitative measurement or how much of something a person had or did. Rather, life in all its fullness is a qualitative measurement that's not so easy to define, that leads us to nebulous concepts or characteristics such as love, truth, Beauty, by which I don't mean physical appearance, I mean that kind of inner beauty that people have, the person, the beautiful personality. Integrity, generosity, tenacity, and so on and so forth. Perhaps what we are actually doing is to compare life in all its fullness with a life in all its emptiness. Frankel would say this is a search for meaning, something that is a healthy and natural human desire. And I think this way of approaching Jesus' statement that says, I have come that you might have life, life in all its fullness, is inherently more healthy and more hopeful and, yes, more scriptural than the prosperity gospel hermeneutic that reads it as a promise of a long, trouble-free, materially successful, healthy, happy life. That's not what it's about. It's not about how much and how bountiful it is. It's about the quality. And I think this is where my Victorian pietistic poem comes in. It's a poem called What... God hath promised. I'm going to read it in its entirety, but only two verses will appear on the screen. What God hath promised by Annie Johnson Flint. God hath not promised skies always blue, flowers strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised sun without pain, sorry, sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. God hath not promised that we shall not know toil and temptation, trouble and woe. He hath not told us that we shall not bear many a burden, many a care. God hath not promised smooth roads and wide, swift, easy travel needing no guide, never a mountain rocky and steep, never a river turbid and deep. But God hath promised Strength for the day, rest for the labour, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, 
unfailing sympathy, undying love. It might be a bit mawkish because it's of its time, but I think there's a good message in that poem, that God isn't going to make everything in the garden roses just because we believe in Jesus, but that God will be with us even on the roughest, toughest and darkest days. Slight change of direction now. This is not the most beautifully structured sermon ever. Central to the way Jesus is portrayed in the fourth gospel are the I am sayings, which in their day would have been incredibly contentious and controversial. The assertion I am, rendered emphatically in the Greek as ego amy, which roughly translates as I am, I am, it carries with it the sense of Yahweh. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. So what Jesus is doing when he says, I am the gate for the sheep, and a little bit later, just beyond where we read to, I am the good shepherd, it wasn't just a metaphor for his earthly ministry. It was a reference to God. And by inference, at least, if not by explicit intent, to his own divinity. I am the good shepherd is only ever so slightly different from the opening words of Psalm 23, which in English says, the Lord is my shepherd. But more accurately from the Hebrew comes as, Yahweh is my shepherd. I am, I am is my shepherd. The statement of life in all its fullness comes from the context then of Jesus' self-identification with the shepherd of Israel. The God who has already accompanied his people through challenges of exodus. And that's to some degree recalled in Psalm 23 with this imagery of pastures and water and valleys. God who has accompanied the people through the struggles of an emergent monarchy, a divided nation, an exile, a return home, and now a Roman occupation. Life in all its fullness is clearly not measured in terms of success, because quite frankly, Israel was a failure. But instead, by the way in which, despite what life brings, meaning can be found or made, and hope sustained, even when it seems against all odds. I don't know about anybody else, but uh, back in the day, as a child, we were made to learn some chunks of scripture by rote. And Psalm 23 was one of the ones that we had to learn. Probably in the KJV version, but I now have a slightly muddled version in my head. And I think it was a good thing for us to learn that psalm. It's short enough to memorise. The imagery of the shepherd and the sheep is easy enough to understand and is still relevant today. As we saw earlier, shepherds and sheep still do pretty much what they've always done. And above all, it carries within it this message of God's presence in the whole of life, both good and bad. The promise that ultimately all will be well and all will be well 
and all kinds of things will be well, as Teresa of Avila and T.S. Eliot put it. Fullness of life, not as a trouble-free, perpetual bliss then, but as raw experience transformed by the presence of God within the struggles, within the questions, the doubts, or the sorrows. And I think that's a good message for us to keep in mind as we travel through life. Now you already know all of that. I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. We all know that life isn't always easy. And we each will face our own demanding challenges. Perhaps what we need is not so much a reminder of what we already know, but a new angle, a new way of working with this idea that's liberating and encouraging. Some of you sometimes find your way up to the vestry and notice a set of postcards and pictures on the fireplace. Most of them are decidedly flippant, uh, not to everybody's taste, But in amongst them is a quotation attributed to the second century bishop, St. Irenaeus, which translated into English is, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. And the second half of the sentence, and to be alive consists in beholding God. But it's the first part that particularly struck me. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. Might it be that what Jesus is saying to his followers, that he wants them to have the opportunity to be fully alive, to be fully human, to be fully the people God created them to be, and in being fully who they were, then to reflect the glory of God in all circumstances. It's one thing for us to reject the prosperity theology, that equates material blessing with fullness of life. And it's another thing to say, well, we actually think that life in all its fullness includes the hard times as well as the good times. But there's still a third question, isn't there? Are we actually fully alive? Or is it the case that we just plod on day to day, doing the same old, same old, without even thinking about it? Is it possible that we're so risk-averse that we are, at the very best, people whose lives are half-full and, at the worst, people whose lives are nearly empty? What might fully alive look like for any of us? I'm always very reluctant to use my life story in sermons and this week I've wrestled a bit with what of my story to share as was appropriate and helpful and was not just endless self-indulgence. But the truth of the matter is being diagnosed with a life-threatening illness four years ago was at the very least a wake-up call. Whilst I was treated with curative intent, there are no guarantees. And even though thus far I am fit and well, and as far as anybody can tell, have no evidence of disease, nobody can give me a life expectancy. The best they can do is say, well, on average, your chances of living five years or ten years are this. And those numbers aren't especially fantastic. 
Being told that your life may be cut significantly shorter is a sobering thought. It forces you to reevaluate your priorities and say, well, what is really important? What do I want to do with the rest of my life if it might only be this long? One of the surprises I got once I got over the shock was it was actually really liberating. It gave me the freedom to let go of certain internal debates as ultimately futile. I wasn't going to spend what time I had debating whether this or that fine point of theology was right or not. It freed me to be a little bit more spontaneous, to have a little bit more of a carpe diem, seize the day attitude. Now, don't get me wrong, I didn't suddenly turn into a thrill seeker and I've never drawn up a bucket list that doesn't work for me. That's not who I am. But it did force me to think what it means for me to be fully alive. How do I live my life as fully as possible so that when somebody one day measures it, it will be by the quality and not the quantity. I like to think that overall I am a little bit more fully alive insofar as I'm more alert to the opportunities to live life fully consistent with who I am and what I am in Christ than I was before. Now, I'm not going to say I was glad I had cancer because that would be frankly quite stupid. I'm not glad I had cancer. But given that I did, part of the way that I find or make meaning is to celebrate the things that it has taught me about life and faith. But there's always that risk of slipping back into the old ways. The further I go on as a a NED, a no-evidence-of-disease person, the less acute those thoughts are. And it's very easy to drift back into routine, doing what I always do, thinking what I always think. And the quality of life can diminish again. In those early days, I was terrified. I had no idea what lay ahead. It felt to me like the deepest, darkest valley ever. And there were times in the middle of the night when reciting Psalm 23 over and over was a massive source of comfort, reminding me that God was there, whatever, that my shepherd would lead me, carry me, feed me, guide me, whatever it took, and in the end would leave me safe, lead me safe home. Fullness of life is not a life free from struggle, free from pain or loss, but it's life lived fully, Discovering what for each one of us it means to be fully alive. And that will, to some degree, depend on our personality. What makes me fully alive might not make you fully alive. But life in its fullness surely must include both loving and losing. Laughing and weeping. Hoping and fearing. Daring and doing. We cannot, after all, judge a biography by its length. 
but by the quality of the story told. We cannot know what lies ahead of us, but we can trust that whatever happens, we are held within the love of God, the love that will never let us go. Amen. And now we come to God with our prayers for others and indeed for ourselves. Let's pray. Life-giving God, who spoke all creation into being, declared it good, blessed it, and commanded it to flourish, we come now with our prayers for people and situations in need. We pray for our society ensnared by a culture of consumerism and materialism. Thinking especially of those who find themselves trapped in prisons, perhaps of their own making, overcommitted, exhausted, frustrated and dehumanised. Whose once exciting dreams and ambitions have morphed into tyrannical oppressors whose once-fulfilling life has descended into meaningless drudgery, whose once-delightful relationships have degenerated into dull routine, who feel that life is passing them by, unable to see any way out of their circumstances. Bringer of life, spring the trap and set folk free. We pray for a world ensnared by the evils of violence and corruption, thinking especially of those living in lands torn apart by war and insurrection, those denied the basic rights that we simply take for granted those who are literally or effectively living in slavery with no hope of liberation, those who live in fear for their lives, longing just for the violence to end, and for those who hate what they have become and wish they could begin again. bringer of life, spring the trap and set folk free. We pray for those known to us, ensnared by feelings of hopelessness or helplessness, thinking especially of those whose lives are limited by frailty or sickness of body or mind. Those who feel worthless because they can no longer do what once they did. Those who feel isolated or abandoned because of changed personal circumstances. Those who feel frustrated or angry 
when they see others living seemingly carefree lives. And for ourselves, in our private prisons and public pretenses. Bringer of life, spring the trap and set folk free. Living God, the good shepherd who guides, protects and sustains all creation, whose spirit breathes refreshment into the furthest reaches of our being, who in Christ makes us fully alive. Accept our prayers, which we gather together in the words Jesus taught his followers, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Lords of life, send us from here with renewed vitality, inspired to be fully alive as we experience the fullness of life. Fill us with hope. Encourage us in faith. And surround us with love, now and always.